0: Well, if you don't know, I'm Brett Starr, I'm the director of student ministries here and I've been here a little over eight years now and I thoroughly love it and enjoy it and I'm not worn out yet. And um, typically I'm upstairs teaching uh, our middle schoolers um, on Sundays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and all over the place. How many of you don't know there's an upstairs here? You don't know, okay. When we're done, that's your, that's your goal, you have to find upstairs. And see what it's like. So that's where all of the, the youngins hang out. So, so anyway, it's a, it's a joy to be with you again um, on this graduation Sunday. So this morning, uh, if you open to the book of 2 Timothy, we're going to be continuing in 2 Timothy. This is the third uh, and final installment of our Fan into Flame series, where we have looked on the importance and the necessity of us as Christians... Those of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ to make other disciples of Jesus Christ. So two weeks ago, Alan Budd shared with us the idea that every person's heart is like soil. And it's our responsibility as believers to spread the seed and plant the seed of the gospel into all of those hearts. And some of those hearts are good soil where the gospel takes root and produces a spiritually fruitful life. And other soils are either bad soil or they get infected with some other things. And the gospel is forgotten or stolen away by the enemy. It's choked out by the cares of this world or it just fades away over time. Alan also taught us from the book of Second Timothy a bunch of reasons why we should make disciples. And he ultimately said this to us, Love God and love people. Teach others to love God and love people so that they will teach others to love God and love people. Last week, Pastor Brian, in a nutshell, challenged us to make disciples and mentor those in another generation, generation under us, because they need us. Because people who need to be made into disciples need someone to help make them into a disciple. I have a book on my shelf in my office that says, Disciples are made, not born. And that's the truth. Pastor Brian showed us How students need teachers, how Timothy needed Paul to be a spiritual parent to him, how soldiers need officers, athletes need coaches, farmers need almanacs, yes, it made him happy wherever he is. And also that workers need supervisors and vessels need repairers. He told us that as followers of Christ, we don't have to pray about making disciples, it's not something we need to get on our knees and say, Lord, do I need to make a disciple? Because Jesus already commanded us in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 that we need to go and make disciples. It's not something we need to pray about. It's something that we need to go out and do. And so today we're going to talk about Timothy himself. And the first time that we hear about Timothy is in Acts 16.1. It says that Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. Timothy was a disciple, and Paul met him probably on his second missionary journey to his hometown of Lystra. And from that point on, Paul and Timothy began to travel together, write together, preach together, and eventually after 10 or 15 years, Timothy became a pastor or elder uh, in the church of Ephesus. That's where Paul wrote the New Testament book of Ephesians 2. And most people uh, think this because First Timothy 1 3 says that, that Paul is telling Timothy, I when I urged you, I urged you when I was in Macedonia to remain at Ephesus. So Paul says, I'm traveling, but, but Timothy, you've been in Ephesus, I want you to stay there, and I want you to do certain things like charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine. And he goes on through the book of First Timothy to explain to him how to rule the church and how a person in leadership in the church is supposed to conduct himself. And when Paul wrote 1 and 2 Timothy, Timothy was probably in his late 30s. He was probably 35 or 37 years old. And one of the the most famous verses from 1 Timothy that is quoted, it's memorized, it's used a lot, is 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set for the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. That verse was written to a 35 or 37-year-old pastor. That verse was not written so that a youth pastor could tell a bunch of 18-year-olds how to rule the world and tell all the 50-year-olds how to run the church. It was written to a 35-year-old pastor to be an example to the believers and to let no one despise his youth. And so what I want to look at today is how did Timothy get to that point? What what did it take for Timothy to become a leader in the church, a pastor in the church? And in order to do that, we have to start before Timothy was born. So if you would, turn to 2 Timothy 1, verses 4 and 5. Paul says about Timothy, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. And I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, And your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So the faith which Timothy possessed began two generations before he was alive, and it was passed on to him. Timothy's mother and grandmother passed on their faith to him. I'm not sure how Timothy's, or how Paul knew so much about Timothy's grandmother or his mother. We know that he may have met them a couple times, but he knew about their faith. He knew about their faith. And parents and grandparents, what I want to tell you is that we have an enormous responsibility. A huge responsibility in passing on our faith in Christ to our kids. So what I want to do is I want to look at a few things about their faith um, that that I think Paul would ask all of us to have a faith like Timothy's mother and his grandmother. So, first, their faith was memorable. Paul says here that he's reminded of their faith. It's memorable. It means that they probably had a faith that some people would say it's contagious. It's like one of those people you're around that just trust the Lord with everything and it seems easy. It was a memorable faith. It was a faith that, probably, as the writer of Hebrews said, that Timothy's mother and his grandmother, they were sure of what they hoped for, and they were certain of what they didn't see concerning the things of God. And it was a faith that believed that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do and trusted him fully to do that. Have you ever been around someone like that where their faith is memorable? The second thing is that their faith was visible. This means they didn't just have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ that was, it's just between me and God kind of thing. It was visible. It was out there. It was something that they probably spoke about. It was probably something they talked to with people and discussed with others, and Paul knew about it. Paul probably discussed it with them. If he was reminded of their faith, he had probably seen their faith in action. It was visible. Third, their faith was recognizable. This also wasn't just a generic faith in God. It was probably a very specific faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul, in his writings spoke of faith in Jesus, and this was the faith that he wanted to boast about, and it was the faith that Timothy's mother and grandmother had. Sometimes it's very easy for us to say that we believe in God, right? It's very simple. That's easy. I believe in God. You know, the, the, the book of James says that the demons believe in God, and they tremble. It's a little more difficult to tell people that we believe that our God is Jesus Christ, and that he died and is, has risen again. So their faith was memorable, it was visible, it was recognizable. And fourth, Paul said that their faith was sincere. This means that it wasn't faked. It was not a faked faith based on who was around, or based on what building they were standing in, or based on what day of the week it was. It was a sincere faith. It was an honest faith. It was a faith that made sense. And it was consistent no matter who they were with or where they were, what building they were in or what day of the week it was. It was consistent and sincere and honest. It was not faked. So what would someone say about our faith? Your faith, my faith? If they were talking with you or writing a letter about you, what would they say about your faith? Would it be memorable? Is it visible? Do they even know you have faith? Would that be even something that people who know you could even talk about? Is it recognizable, specific to faith in Jesus Christ, or an easy, yeah, I believe in God kind of faith? And is it sincere? Does it change from day to day? Does when you walk out of here, out of this building, does it change? When we go to work, when we go to school, wherever we go, does it change? Does it change? I realize that the faith of our children, the faith of Timothy, wasn't solely reliant upon his mother and his grandmother. We have to rely on the grace and the sovereignty of God, ultimately. But parents, we play a great role that we can't shirk. And we have a wonderful responsibility. And it's a wonderful joy that we can have in our life to play that part of bringing our kids up to know Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to look specifically at uh, Timothy's uh, mom for a while, mom and grandma. So first, they passed on their faith. Secondly, they taught and talked about God's word with him. So Timothy's mom in Acts 16:1 it says that Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. We've read that. We'll read it a couple more times. And a disciple was there named Timothy, and he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. So this tells us two things about Timothy. He was a disciple. He was a believer. And the time that uh, when First and 2 Timothy were written to him was about 30 or 35 years after Christ's death and resurrection. So his grandma and his mother were contemporaries living at the same time of Jesus, more than likely. They didn't live in the same area, but they lived around that time. And Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations. And they were sent out to do that, and they did that, and made disciples, and here we have Timothy. He was a product of this. He was a product of discipleship. And also it says, he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. So what role did a Jewish, a good Jewish Christian mom have in the discipleship of her son Timothy? And what role did she play in bringing him up to the point where he was an an elder and leader or pastor in the church of Ephesus? Turn to 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul says to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible open, I want you to underline two words. The words whom and acquainted. Whom and acquainted. So I had to underline whom because in the Greek text, which the New Testament was written in, the word whom there is plural. A lot of times we might read this and think, okay, Paul is saying, remember all the stuff you learned from me. And while that's true, there's a lot more to it. He knew his grandmother and his mother taught him. And he knew there were other people probably at the church where he was attending in his hometown that taught him. And we'll see later that he was spoken, Timothy was spoken well of by the other brothers and disciples in the town he lived. So he probably had a whole bunch of people that he could look at and say, yeah, I remember that they taught me a lot of things and they they taught me what I should be learning and what I should be doing. And then Paul got specific, and he said, remember, here's what they taught you. He says, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So Timothy's knowledge and his learning from other people began, it says, from childhood. The word there in the Greek means infant, infancy. From from the time that he was an infant, Timothy began, it says, to be acquainted with, with the sacred writing. And the word acquainted doesn't mean, you know, it's kind of like the person. We think of acquainted or acquaintance. It's like that person we know their first name, and we see them once a week, and we're like, hey, what's up? Right? It's kind of that. It's the, hey, how you doing? But the word acquaint- acquainted here means a lot more. It means that he was discovering it. He was figuring out what it meant. He was figuring out how to respond to it. He He possessed and had the information that was in it, and he knew it. So that began from infancy. That's when it began. From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Romans 10, it tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the faith that Timothy had came from hearing God's word, which is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. If we want our kids to know and have faith in Jesus Christ, we need to be teaching them God's word. If you think back over your life, from whom have you learned God's word? Maybe there's a handful of people. When I think of my life, I think about my parents. Um, They both taught me God's word. Um, I remember uh, as a teenager, my mom was in this thing called BSF. Bible Study Fellowship, and it's probably one of the most difficult Bible studies you could ever go through. And I remember as a teenager sitting with her late at night, and I was, we would do it together. I would help her. I don't know how much of a help I was. I have no clue. But we did that together. I remember that. I remember a lot of teachers I had. I went to a Christian school through eighth grade. I remember Mrs. Richards in my second grade class, and she shared the gospel with us frequently. And I remember um, raising my hand one day and saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe because of the gospel that she shared with me. I remember um, Mr. Pierce in my eighth grade class. Mr. Pierce always called every young man, sir. So it was, it was weird. He would chew on his tongue. I don't know why, but you'd see him chew on his tongue. And if you were doing something wrong, he would say, sir. You know, and there's one time where I looked back at him and I said, what, Sir. Yeah, that was bad news. <laughs> Don't do that, kids. Don't do that. But um, in that class, we had to memorize the book of James in the King James Version word for word so that we could recite it and write it out. Oh. I will not forget Mr. Pierce. <clears throat> I think of, I, I had lots of Sunday school teachers, including my parents. My parents taught Sunday school to me. I I don't think there's anyone better. Parents, I would say join up, whether it's Awana, whether it's Kids Church, whether it's The Zone or wherever, join up and help teach. I want you there. Help teach your kids. So I remember teachers from Sunday school Uh, I remember I was in an Awana-type program, and I remember Mr. Zeal. And I think if Mr. Zeal, like, walked in the door, I'd stand up straight and call him Mr. Zeal because he was in charge of the 3rd through 6th grade boys, and we'd all stand in our grades in the square, and we'd have to, like, salute flags, and we thought we were in, like, Bible boot camp with Mr. Zeal. So there's all these people that I can look back on and say they were part of the whom Who's part of your whom that have taught you those things? And are you going to be part of someone's whom? That one day, maybe when they're standing up telling somebody a story, they mention your name. Not to bring glory to you, but to bring glory to God and what he allowed you to do. Who are you going to do that with? Who are you going to be that person for? To be part of that whom teaching them? Timothy's mom and grandma... Passed on their faith, they talked about and they taught God's word to him. I believe that Timothy's mom knew what God had told her people, the Israelites, about how to bring up their children. She probably knew that after God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he he gathered them all and he said this in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, saying, Listen, hear, listen up, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Timothy's mom knew something, that God had placed a great responsibility, a great weight on the adults, on the parents of these kids to first know God's word. If you read it again, it says, in these words I command you today shall be upon your heart. This was God instructing the adults to know God's word to the point where it was ingrained and stamped on their heart. It's as if God wants us, you know, have you ever sat down with somebody and said, you know, I want to share something with you from my heart? God wants whatever comes out of your mouth to be mixed in with his word, And his commands so that it's God's grace and God's gospel that comes through, not our own thoughts from our own hearts because we know our hearts are deceiving. So he says, I want these words to be upon your heart. Luke 6.45 says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. Whatever's in your heart is gonna come out. There've been times where I tell the youth group, I say, you know, I could know you if I put you in a room at a table with five of your closest friends and I just listened to you. I can know your heart in an hour. What comes out of our mouths shows what's in our hearts. And God wants his word and his commands to be in our hearts so that it comes out of our mouth. And then Deuteronomy says that God's word needs to be taught. It says, and teach them diligently to your children. Have you ever diligently washed or detailed your car? Have you diligently gotten ready for a graduation party or for any sort of party? Have you ever diligently studied for some sort of test that really mattered? Have you diligently saved money for a car vacation or something like that? Have you ever diligently worked out and ate well until those last 10 pounds were gone? Have you ever worked diligently at your job until the job was done so it pleased your boss no matter what it took? I think we've all done one or two of those, but God says, "Teach my word diligently to your children." But how do we do that? Deuteronomy says, "Talk about it when you sit in your house." Just sitting in your house, we sit in our houses, right? Sit at the dinner table. We sit on the couch after we watch TV. We come in from 100 degree weather and we sit in the air conditioning. Um, maybe we need to replace the TV sometimes with talking about God. Maybe some of us uh, need to realize we don't even sit in our house as a family anymore because we're so busy. I've been there. I've been there. Think about this too. Sometimes we don't even have to be in our house, do we, to talk to our kids Some of our kids have cell phones, and we could text them. We could read a verse and say, and text them and say, Honey, you know, this verse, I'm praying this for you today. Just wanted to let you know. So we talk about it while we're in the house. That's one way to diligently teach God's Word to our kids. You shall talk of them when you walk by the way. This is when you take a walk with the dog. Or when you go to the park. And you're noticing God's creation around you, and you just begin talking about God. Maybe what we could do, though, is if, if we talked about these days, we would say instead of walking, by the way, we don't take a lot of walks anymore. We drive a lot. Okay, Talk about it when you're in your car driving. Maybe parents, this is you just tell your kids while you're driving what, it, what you learned from God's word today. Or with my kids, what we do is, before school, we pray for a friend that's at school that they would believe in Jesus and have a great day. Here's the good thing about a car. They can't get away from you. (laughs) They could try. It'd be a bad day, but they could try. Talk about them in your house. Talk about them while you walk. Talk about God's word when you drive your car. And it says, talk about them while you lie down and when you rise up. This is before bed or during breakfast. We all go to bed. We all probably eat some breakfast. Maybe you have five minutes before bed each night and you read the Bible or you go through some devotion book with your kids. Maybe it's in the morning. You've, you know, The previous night you've read Proverbs and you pick out a proverb. And during breakfast you just read one little proverb and talk about what it means for a minute. It doesn't have to be a two-hour Inductive Bible study of the Greek and Hebrew, and it doesn't have to be that. Not at all. It says, then you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So when I was 19, I went on a trip to Israel for two weeks, and uh, it was a study trip with college, and when I went there, I saw a lot of phylacteries and mezuzahs, Some of you know know what those are. Some of you think they're scary animals that you only find in Israel. They're not. Um, A phylactery is like a little box. Imagine like an ugly jewelry box. And it's got a piece of leather on it about that long. And a lot of Orthodox Jews put this box on their head and tie it around their head. Or they put the box on their arm and they tie it around their arm. And so I saw this and I I saw these, these Jewish people praying with these things tied to themselves. And, and so what I found out was that inside the box is this passage from Deuteronomy. And they're praying that they would know who God is. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They're praying that God's word would be upon their hearts. They're praying that God's word would be upon the hearts of their kids. So the second thing, a mezuzah, But that is, I I was in a hotel, and on every door, there was this little metal box. It was smaller than the phylactery thing, but just a little box, and it was screwed into the doorpost. And I I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like a fancy doorbell. I'm so pushing. I don't know what it was. So what I found out was was it contained Deuteronomy 6, this passage again. It says, bind them as a sign on your hand and frontlets between your eyes, and put them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. So these things, what they were, they're so that God's word, they took the Jewish people took it li- very literally, having God's word implanted in their mind, put into action on their hands, and marking that their home is set apart from the rest of the world by God's word. When everybody, anybody saw that thing, they knew what it was on their door. Now, I don't see any of you with something strapped to your head, a box, okay? And there's a lot of Jewish scholars that don't even believe that God is, was specifically saying tie something to your head or tie something to your arm or nail something into your wall. Um, the main point is that God wanted his people to know the word, to put it into action, and have it be the thing that marked their home apart from the rest of the world. So if we think about Christians these days... Well, we do kind of the same thing, right? We wear cheesy Christian t-shirts, right? We don't strap something to our head, but we wear a cheesy t-shirt. I think the weirdest one, I apologize for this one, the weirdest one I ever saw, it said, Godweiser, King of Kings. And you can imagine the logo, exactly the same. Some of you will get that later or ask your neighbor or somebody. But I saw that. Saw that. Um, we wear bracelets too, right? Remember WWJD. What would Jesus do? Or there's one that says frog. We had a fully on God. Yeah, frog. We had a frog up here today. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, it's official now. It's officially changed to frog. So we wear bracelets. We wear t-shirts. And what do we do with our homes? We don't nail something into the doorpost. But we have a framed verse, or a picture of Jesus holding a lamb, or praying hands, or things that outwardly show that people, tell, show people that we have a bent toward God, right? But what God wants is not just those things, this outward appearance of goodness, of godness, but he wants that faith that Timothy's mom and grandma had, that's, that's visible, it's recognizable, it's, it works, it's being worked out. It's not enough to look good on that outside. Jesus called the, the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. They looked good on the outside. But on the inside, there was nothing clean about them. So Timothy's mom taught him God's word. Ever since he was a child, since he was an infant, parents, how are we doing? What if Deuteronomy six became an example to us, and we diligently taught our kids God's word? What would that look like? Could could you talk about it, eating dinner, before bed, during breakfast, in the car? Sounds a little bit more reasonable, doesn't it? I think it's doable. And I think it's something that needs to happen more and more. The next thing I think, I believe that that Timothy's mom reminded him about his spiritual heritage. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently. There's that word again. We teach our kids diligently and we keep our soul diligently. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Children's children, grandmas, grandpas. This is grandma and grandpa probably teaching the grandkids. You know, and and mom joined them, and they diligently told Timothy how God had done great things that they couldn't explain, how he provided for them when they didn't have anything, and how maybe they dealt with a tough death in the family or something hard that the family has gone through, Grandma probably told them and reminded them about uh, the heritage of the Israelite people going through being in Egypt and being freed and brought into the promised land and then over a couple thousand years being enslaved here and there and God bringing them through that. I'm guessing that as as a good Jewish mom and Jewish grandma, they also would have told Timothy about how they came to know the Messiah that they had been waiting for for so long how they believed in Jesus Christ who died for them and rose again. Parents, grandparents, when was the last time we told our kids when we believed in Jesus Christ? They need to hear that. They need to hear that. That's not just something that's personal. It's something our kids need to hear. Also, I think that Timothy's mother, uh, more than likely, she brought him to church. Acts 15.21 says, For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. That was Saturday. The verse implies that generation after generation went to the synagogue to hear the book of Moses read to them. And the law of Moses taught to them. So not only did Timothy's mom teach him diligently at home... She also brought him to the synagogue, we'll say she brought him to church, so that others could teach him too. And if we had time, we'd look at the New Testament in the book of Colossians. Uh, It's another letter that Paul wrote, and what happened with the letters of Paul, the same thing that happened with the book of Moses happened. It was read to the congregation of people. Not everybody had one of these in 65 A.D., they didn't have an app on their phone that was the bible they had one letter maybe there's somebody who could copy it down but here's what paul said at the end of the book of colossians in colossians 4:16 he said and when this letter has been read among you have it also read to the church of the laodiceans so historically what happened was everybody that associated with the church came to hear Paul's letter be read. It was grandparents, parents, kids. It was everybody. It was everybody. And in fact, Colossians 3, just a chapter before, Paul speaks to the parents, the kids, husbands, and wives, all in the same two or three verses. So they were all taught together, and I think Timothy's mom probably taught, took him to the synagogue every week, with her to hear God's word taught. And if, again, if we had time, we could look throughout all the Old and New Testament of how the entire family, and there are many instances where it says, parents, bring your children and your infants, everybody, to hear God's word taught. And they would all stand together under the teaching of Moses or Joshua or someone else. They would celebrate God's gifts to them. They would celebrate the temple being built they would celebrate things like Whitehall being built and started, and they would hear God's Word taught, and they would worship together. They would do that. This is part of the reason, if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, we had the kids in here, first through eighth grade, for part of the time. And I think there is, in my mind, a necessity for our kids to see us, parents and grandparents, to see us. Open our Bibles up and read it. Sit under authority of the teaching of God. I think our kids need to see us give money in the offering. I think our kids need to see us sing songs to Jesus, not just sing songs in our car. I think they need to see us get up from our seat and pray for other people who need it. Our kids need to see all of that from us. There's a saying, it's not not from the Bible, but uh, Bill Robbins, if you know Bill Robbins, he said it this past week, more is caught than taught with your kids. More is caught than taught, and I think our kids need to see that from us more and more. I loved having the kids in here. I thought it was great. And you know what? None of us, none of us sit through a sermon perfectly, do we? We're all distracted at times. Some of us fall asleep, you know, some of us worry about what we're going to have for lunch, but we're just, you know, we've just grown up enough to know where we can keep it in our minds. So we don't have to say it, okay? <laughs> I know how it goes. So our kids, you know what? There's a few times we might have to be like, shh, quiet down a little, okay? Right, they're looking at me. <laughs> but you know what I wouldn't trade? I wouldn't trade singing with my kids for the world. I wouldn't trade um, I wouldn't trade those times where um, my daughter is stop. Okay. <laughs> All right. She's in the kids praise team and they sing a lot of songs that the ki- th- that we do here. And so there's sometimes where she comes in we're singing together and they come in here, I don't know, once or twice a month, and she's dancing around and <laughs> doing motions and I'm like, "You know motion. They're learning that from the kids church. They're singing the same songs and I wouldn't trade my boys leaning over and saying, what does that word mean? You know, sanctification, circumcision, and <laughs> I, <laughs> if you're a kid in here and you don't know, ask, you know, ask dad now, but, <laughs> but you know what? And you know what I do? I go like this. I'm like, shh, daddy's listening to the sermon. It's ridiculous. You know what I do? I miss a few lines of the sermon and I teach my kid what a, mer- a word means. Where else is he going to learn it? I wouldn't trade that for the world. I wouldn't trade that for a 100 sermons that I learned something. I wouldn't. I think our kids need to see those things in us. It's very important. So Timothy's mom and grandma passed on their faith. They talked about and they taught the scriptures. They reminded Timothy about the spiritual heritage of their family. They brought him to church. But what about Timothy's father? What about him? Most likely, he was not a believer. If you turn back to Acts 16, we read it again, but a little further, where Paul meets Timothy. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra, that is Timothy, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So we're kind of rewinding, okay, back to when Timothy and Paul met, he was probably 20 years old. In the Old Testament, 20 is when a young man began to give offering at the temple, when he was counted as his own person in the census, um, when they could become a priest, uh, and in both the Jewish culture and the Greek culture. So he had a mom who was Jewish, a dad who was Greek. You could join the army when you were 20. So 20 was about the age where you were kind of a, you were, uh, you know, set free from mom and dad. And so it's at this age where Timothy was allowed to decide what he wanted to do, and he decided he wanted to travel with Paul and and be a missionary and do those things. And says, but his dad, his father was a Greek. And this means that he was Greek. (laughs) And he was probably an unbeliever, is what that means. The other interesting thing, though, about this passage is that Paul circumcised Timothy at the age of 20 with no anesthesia. (laughs) And he did that so he could minister to the Jews and the Greeks better. It says, for they all knew his father was a Greek. So it, it helped him to minister to the Jewish people that were around him. But the most interesting thing about it is a good Jewish Christian mom would have circumcised her son on the eighth day after she was born like every other Jewish boy was. But dad being a Greek Gentile, didn't want that to happen. And so, Timothy's father, I think this shows us that he was respected by Timothy's mother. 1 Peter 3, 1-2 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I'm guessing that this was the example of Timothy's mom toward her husband. She loved him enough to respect him in matters which really didn't matter or matters that didn't negatively affect his salvation. Circumcision didn't save, and she knew that as a believer. It was the faith in Christ that he had been taught from infancy that made him a believer. So this happened when he was 20, and it shows great respect from his mom to her husband and Timothy's dad. But what if? What if Timothy's dad was a believer? What is it that he should have done? What is it he would have done if he was a believing Christian father? My thought is this, that one Sunday, Timothy, Mom, and Dad, they went to New Life Church, we'll say that, and somebody got up, Pastor got up and started reading Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and you may live long on the land. So then, you know, mom and dad started nudging Timothy. Did you hear that? Raising the eyebrows. Did you hear that, son? Obey me, honor me, because you will live long, and I brought you into this world. I can take you out. But then the speaker read the next verse and said, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then what happened was dad got some looks from mom. Right? So I asked what Timothy's dad would have done if he was a believer. He would have led his family in all the things which... Mom did, and Grandma did, and he would have joined them in doing those things. He would have taught Timothy the Bible. He would have talked about it. He would have talked about their Christian heritage. He would have told them the things that God had brought them through, and he would have brought them to church. And they would have worshipped together. He would have answered the questions that Timothy had about what words meant. In the Old Testament book of Malachi, And then again, when John the Baptist was born, God conveyed a message to people that something desperate, I think, needed to happen. That something, he says, is that the hearts of the fathers need to be turned back toward their children, and the hearts of the children need to be turned back to their fathers. And I believe this is pretty close at the top of my list of what needs to happen in the church today is that the hearts of fathers are turned toward their kids, and it's those hearts, remember, though, that are filled up with God's word. So when they speak, they're speaking the words of God. They're not speaking their own feelings. They're speaking God's word to them. I think Christian fathers need to take on the role and responsibility of spiritual leadership in their home because, fathers, we're the ones who it's commanded to I also think the hearts of children, it says, need to be turned toward the fathers. Children, if you are a child in your home, um, I think your hearts need to be open. Your hearts need to be submissive and receptive to it because parents don't always get it 100% right. I think that's what's needed and that's what God says is needed and it's something that God commands us. But we know that Timothy didn't have this kind of father. So when he was 20 years old, as we heard last week, Paul came, became a spiritual father, a spiritual mentor to him. And I wonder how many of you out there might be an empty nester that might have some time, as we were challenged with last week, to take on someone younger who needs a spiritual parent who doesn't have one. So moms, if, if, if you're a single mom... Or if you're a mom who lives in a home with an unbelieving husband, look at Timothy's mom and look at how she teamed up with Grandma and look at how good she did to the point where Timothy is is a leader in church. I know a great handful of single moms or moms in that situation that are doing a wonderful job with their kids. So be encouraged by Timothy. Be encouraged by Timothy's mom. And dads, do we need to lead our homes better? I know I do. I think we all do. The Apostle John, in uh, in the book of Third John, verse four, he talks about a parent's greatest joy. He says, "I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth." Now, John, when he was speaking, wasn't talking about his biological kids. Uh, he was talking about spiritual kids that he led to the Lord. But I think, I think as a parent, we could say that, that I have no greater joy than to know that my kids are walking in the truth, that my kids are following Jesus Christ. Does anything else bring you greater joy? Maybe one of those things that I, I mentioned that we diligently work at. Does it bring you more joy when your car is clean? Or when you get an A on a test? Or do your job well at work? I want all of us to have no greater joy than to hear that our kids are walking in the truth. I stole the box at the bottom from the Alan Budd, but added to it, Parents, love God and love people. Teach your kids to love God and love people so that they will teach their kids to love God and love people. That's what I want. That's what I want from my kids. And here's, what, you, know, uh, you know, maybe a, maybe a bold statement, but I don't think that if we have kids, I don't think we need to pray about, God, please bring me someone to disciple. And during that prayer, you have a little kid tug on your pants, mom, dad, and you're like, shh, I'm praying. (laughs) God's giving you three little munchkins, or maybe they're big munchkins now, but he's giving you kids. That's your primary responsibility to make disciples. That's where it starts. You don't have to go looking for someone else. If you have kids, free yourself and start with your kids. And kids, if you're a little older, and you might think it's weird if dad starts talking about the Bible and stuff, you need to turn your heart toward him because his heart is trying to be changed by God so that he can do the responsibility that he's been commanded to do. So maybe you're a father today and you, you want to start growing in these, these areas. Or maybe you're a mom and you want to do the same. Or maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you're a grandparent and you think, you know what? I need to be a, a more of a, a role model in my grandkids' lives and teach them the spiritual heritage of their family. Maybe you don't have much of a spiritual heritage and maybe it's just you. Well then, we present to your kids, hey, it's starting with us and we're going to have a believing home that's focused on the word of God and a, a, have a real faith, a sincere faith that goes beyond a Sunday morning for an hour. And you teach them and show them that down the road, generation after generation after generation, that you want those people to be talking about us. Or Maybe, again, you're that Paul-type person that you need to find somebody. You need to find somebody to be a spiritual child and begin to teach them. So in a few minutes, the, the prayer partners are going to come up, and um, what I want you to do is, is if, if one of those things is something, you know, gripped to your heart where you say, you know what, I need transformation. You know, our, our, our statement around here is that for the glory of God, we, we lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ through the gospel. So if you feel like your life in this area needs to be transformed, humble yourself and ask someone to pray for you. Or maybe you're just like, I, I, I know I need to do it, but I don't know how. Um, you know, I would love to help you. All of our s- staff, we'd love to help you figure out how do we do this with our kids? But you know, as we read, we, just, we sit in our house, we drive in our car, and we eat breakfast, and we, we talk about God, we talk about Jesus, and we read his word. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the wonderful opportunity that we have with our kids and with our young people. I ask that you will help us uh, to see the wonderful value our kids have, and that um, they are a wonderful part of this congregation at New Life. I pray that you will help our hearts to welcome them to worship with us and not see them as a nuisance. I pray that you will help us, help me as a father and help all the fathers out here to take on the responsibility of leading our homes spiritually. I pray that you will help all of the mothers out here um, to desire to do those same things. And Lord, for for grandparents as well, I just ask that they will have and see the opportunity to pour into the lives of their family. And Lord, for all of us, I just ask that you will help us to seek out and find those people that we can make disciples because we know that disciples are made, they're not born. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you've given us your son, Jesus Christ, and you work in us according to your good pleasure, so we can do the works that you've created for us to do. And Lord, I just pray that uh, if anybody in here is struggling with um, the thought of someone praying with them about these things, I pray you'll give them the courage to stand up and, and be prayed for. And Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, and it's in his name I pray. Amen.